So how good is that? That's wonderful, isn't it? All right, all right, no crying over there. Come on. That looked really fun, singing with your daughter. Somehow I don't think it would go quite as well for me, but Ariel would sound good. But, uh, that was wonderful. Thank you, guys. And uh, the good news is uh, Brother Charles is going to be back to sing for us again at near the end of the sermon, and, uh, and so still a lot of good things to do here. Um, but uh, what a blessing to have uh, Charles Hogebrooks with us today. Um, he's done a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of different recordings and so forth. You can find those a lot of places. So uh, if you appreciated that and you want to be able to play that around your house, you can, because he's taking time to put those on different recordings. So look for those. You'll be glad you did. And uh, what a blessing have them with us. Good to have you here, Will. Will was gone all week at uh, an organ convention, right? You didn't even know they had those, did you? <laughs> yep. He kept on Facebook posting these pictures from concerts. How many concerts did you go to? Like 10 or 12 or? Yeah, something like that. But uh, all of these, all these organ people all packed into these amazing looking churches and uh, they looked like it was quite a trip. So you had a good time? All right. Well, we're glad you're back. Good to see you here. This is actually uh, the last Sabbath for Richard Myrick, who's on our soundboard upstairs. Uh, he's been working on our AV team for a while, but this is his last Sabbath to be with us. And uh, it was a good one to be with us, but uh, he's going to be going into the military. So he's going to be away from us. Uh, so we appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate your work. Thank you for giving to the Lord, right? That's all the little things we can do that will make a difference in people's lives. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, what a blessing. Our hearts are full today. And uh, what an important word you have for us today. So Lord, help us open our hearts to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you see the frames here again. And if you remember... From a year ago, we had the frames theme, and if not, or if you've forgotten what that's about, I'll remind you that uh, we got the frames out here because we're going to take some time. Uh, it's only about three or so weeks we're going to be able to do with this, deal with this, but we wanted to take some time again this summer, like last summer, and talk a little bit about some of the doctrines of the Adventist church, specifically in the context of what are referred to as the 28 fundamental beliefs. Now, we only have time to deal with a couple of them, but we'll do this off and on uh, from time to time. But I want to remind you that the reason we use the image of the frame is because this is what doctrines are supposed to be. They're supposed to be frames. Who's the picture supposed to be? Jesus, Jesus exactly. The doctrine is the frame that enables us to see Jesus clearly. And if the frames are not well built, or if they're too gaudy, or if they're not suitable, then the picture is harmed. So the frames need to be good. But it's important to remember that the frames are there to help us see the picture. The doctrines give us clarity and a common starting point for life and faith, but we always have to be careful because doctrines can, if not carefully monitored, sneak into the picture and become the focus of the picture. But their purpose is to get us to focus on Jesus, not on them. 
So here's the thing about doctrine. Doctrine rightly used will enable and empower our Christian witness. When the doctrines are working right, then they are enabling us to know what to do in the midst of a confusing world with crazy things going on to enable us to behave as Jesus would have us in whatever the situation is, to be Christ-like. So they are there to help us in all that we do. But now here's the thing. We as Adventists are very sensitive to the fact that though on the one hand, for the sake of understanding, it is important sometimes to write down beliefs and what we understand them to be, we are not confused into thinking that what we have written down is the Bible, okay? The things we write down are our understandings of the Bible. And so for this reason, if you were to go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church website and you were to pull up the page, you'd see a section that said beliefs. And if you clicked on that, it would come up and you could go to the document that is the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But before you got to any of those beliefs, you would find these words, these very important words. And I'm going to read them to you again because they're very important to keep in mind. It goes like this. Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed and hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. These beliefs, as set forth here, constitute the church's understanding and expression of the teaching of Scripture. Revision of these statements may be expected at a general conference session when the church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of Bible truth or finds better language in which to express the teachings of God's holy word. So the point of this all being, these are statements that have been agreed upon by a body of Adventist believers as statements of fundamental belief. But do not mistake them for infallible statements. We leave all of that sort of thing in God's word and God's ability to speak to us by his spirit through his word to teach us his will. So these are our attempts at expressing truth. But don't fall into the creedal trap to where we turn these into the absolute statements of truth. These are the frames, not the picture. Okay? So I want to talk today about one of those fundamental beliefs. And if you were looking at the list right now, we would be talking about fundamental belief number 10. Now, there isn't necessarily anything highly significant about how they're ordered. They just tried to lay them out in, a, in an order that made sense. But this is number 10, and it's called the experience of salvation. Now, I'm going to read it to you. It's kind of long, so try to stay with me here if you can. The experience of salvation. Here we go. In infinite love and mercy, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. Led by the Holy Spirit, we sense our need, acknowledge our sinfulness, repent of our transgressions, and exercise faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, substitute and example. This saving faith comes through the divine power of the word and is the gift of God's grace. Through Christ, we are justified, adopted as God's sons and daughters, and delivered from the lordship of sin. Through the Spirit, we are born again and sanctified, 
The Spirit renews our minds, writes God's law of love in our hearts, and we are given the power to live a holy life. Abiding in Him, we become partakers of the divine nature and have the assurance of salvation now and in the judgment. Okay, I told you, it's kind of a long statement, isn't it? But there's a reason that it's a long statement. It's a rather long statement because it is very difficult to put into words exactly what it is Jesus has done for us and all the implications of what Jesus has done for us and what our response needs to be. But there it is. And, and I think in truth that it's well stated, though probably not succinctly stated, we could probably agree, but, but how do you say it succinctly? I'm pretty sure I can guess what you're thinking after I read that. You're saying, well, okay, that's what it says, but what does it mean? Well, the challenge of telling you exactly what it means is, to a large degree, established in the name of this particular doctrine. Do you remember the name? The experience of salvation. It's never easy to explain an experience, is it? Explain to me what it's like to jump into cold water. Okay, you know that. How many words is it going to take you to explain it? The experience of salvation is similar. You see, there just aren't perfect words. In fact, the experience is almost too deep for words. You see, it's born from the moving of the Holy Spirit. Who wants to explain the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's a little tough. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit upon the whole of our being, body, mind, and spirit. Who wants to explain how body, mind, and spirit work together in the wholeness of our being? You know it does, but it's hard to explain. Now, there are certain definable elements of this experience of salvation, and they're spelled out in the doctrine here as best they can. There's an awareness of God's infinite love. There's a sensing of our need. There's an acknowledging of our sinfulness. There's repentance, being truly sorry about sin. There is the exercising of faith to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is all sufficient. So these things are actually spelled out in and listed in the doctrine as it reads. And then after that come a lot more words that attempt to explain these things further and the implications. But at the end of the day, it's something you either know because you have experienced it, or you don't know because you haven't. If you have experienced the experience of salvation, no one can tell you it isn't real. But if you haven't, no one can convince you it is. But I suppose if we wanted to simplify the experience, we could put things into maybe a couple of categories. We could talk about what God has done to rescue us and what God has done to give us a new life. And I'm going to spend some moments pointing out these concepts as they appear in some texts. But first, I want you to recognize the single most important point with all of that. And this is it. That the whole experience of salvation, it begins and ends 
with what God has done. Now, there's a glorious passage of Scripture found in 2 Corinthians that puts it together extremely well. So let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, now I want to connect what we just read there with the two categories I mentioned a moment ago. What God has done to rescue us and what God has done to give us new life. I want you to look at verse 18 again in light of that. Verse 18 says this, all this is from God. Remember how I told you that it begins and ends with God? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, that's what he's done to rescue us, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's done to give us a new life. Now this idea is then repeated in the next verse as well, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. That's what God has done to rescue us. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, what God has done to give us a new life. He doesn't count our sin against us, and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Rescue, new life. It always comes together. We, when we have experienced both deliverance and calling, then we have experienced salvation. And what happens when we experience our salvation? Well, that's what the next verse talks about, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now maybe if you'll remember what we read in the doctrine, in, the, in, the 20, in, in belief number 10, that same language is found in the wording there. You'll find a lot of that language in what we're going to read today. So here's how it works. We become the righteousness of God. This is what God has done to rescue us. And take our place in his plan as ambassadors of his kingdom. This is what God has done to give us new life. You see how that theme plays out in all these verses? They always come together. The rescue and the new life. So how, you ask, how do we enter into the experience of salvation? Well, we enter in by faith in the gospel, the good news of the story of Jesus, the Son of God who lived and died and rose again to give us new life, to save us and give us new life. And this is a very important point. We enter into the experience of salvation through faith in what Jesus has done. That's how we enter the experience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And then we notice from our construct before, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It all begins and ends in what God has done, the gift of God, right? Not by works, so that no one can boast. God has rescued us, not we ourselves. And then verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The new life that God gives us. You see it again here? It begins and ends with God. It's rescue and it's new life. So why does God do this? Ephesians 2 verse 4. But because of his great love for us. Why does he do it? Because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Why does he do it? There's another one. I think you know it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the message of the gospel. This is the meaning of the story of Jesus. And this is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So let's review what we've said so far. The experience of salvation begins and ends in what God has done in Jesus Christ. What God has done to save us and what God has done to give us a new life. And we enter into this experience by faith. It isn't enough to have just been told about Jesus. You must choose to believe. You must yield your heart to the Holy Spirit who is calling upon you continually to put your faith in what Jesus has done. Otherwise, you'll just be going through the motions, but not ever knowing the experience. And don't think for a second that's not possible. There are people who know how to go through the motions of church, how to go through the motions of believing, and they're really good at it. But they've never known the experience. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of this. Verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. That's another way of saying the same thing, of, of the experience of salvation, to enter his rest, to experience salvation. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. 
For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. You enter the experience by faith. There's no other way. It's possible to hear the story of Jesus and not experience salvation. For the experience of salvation comes only to those who combine faith with hearing. Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is faith. This is what it means to enter the experience by faith. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. It isn't enough just to hear. You must then believe. Romans 10, verse 16, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, this will actually bring us back again to what we said before. You see, it all begins and ends with God. Even our faith begins and ends with God, for it is God through the Holy Spirit who enables us to believe that Jesus has paid it all. We don't have faith because somehow we've been more clever than anyone else. Or we don't have faith because somehow we're more innately righteous than anyone else. We have faith because we have not resisted the calling of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. It's God's work from beginning to end. want a description of how it happens, there isn't one much better than what you find in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, now you might be tempted when you hear that first part to think, I'm talking about them out there. There have been people who've gone to church their whole life and envied and hated the people around them and been torn and deceived and enslaved by passions within them. It's reality. It's not out there reality. It's in here reality. This is our story, not their story. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. This is what God has done to save us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is what God has done to give us new life. 
There it is again. This is our story. It's my story. And there's no reason for a ton of detail on it, but you know my dad was a pastor, and you know I grew up as a child of the church, and I was a pretty good child of the church. I mean, I didn't get in too much trouble. But it's really less about that, and it's more about where your heart is. And there comes a point in everyone's life where you've got to decide, am I just a child of this thing that my parents believe in, or do I believe this too? Am I ready to enter the experience of salvation? And there were periods in my life where I was drawn away by any number of different things. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loves us, even when we're dead, makes us alive. He doesn't quit reaching out to us. The Holy Spirit does not cease to work upon our hearts. And when we, by faith, believe, we enter the experience of salvation. And it begins, and we walk this road with Jesus. And we're far from perfect, aren't we? But we have entered, by faith, into the experience. And we are walking this road, and we are being sanctified by the goodness and the love of God. And he is giving us purpose in our lives. And he is helping us in our trials. And he is forgiving us when we failed and starting us again. And we walk and we believe and we become stronger by faith. And here's the result. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's the work of God from beginning to end. And he's given us everything we need. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is the experience of salvation. And we are invited into this experience because Jesus, the one that the frame is around, Jesus has paid it all.
had left a crimson stain He washed it white as Like the fragrance after
Brother Charles is singing about here is called the experience of salvation. Is this an experience you know? If this is an experience you know, then no one can convince you it's not real. But if this is an experience you don't know, you're having a hard time believing it could be real. You enter by faith into the work of God accomplished through Jesus Christ to rescue us and to give us new life. There's a text in the Old Testament that wraps this up beautifully, what God's heart is on this, and we'll end with this today. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the experience of salvation. Rescue, new life, deliverance, and calling. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your Holy Spirit is upon us and upon our hearts right now. And I pray for anyone struggling to believe today that you would, by your grace, give them faith sufficient to believe that Jesus has paid it all, that we are rescued and given new life, and that we have hope. Lord, come now and convict our hearts. Hear us as our hearts cry out to you. You are our God. Let us be your people. May we be faithful to the one who has called us. In the name of Jesus, whose picture it is inside the frame, we pray. Amen.